Hi, my name is Rotendo Nyamuda, and welcome to another phenomenal, extraordinary episode of In My Twenties. In my twenties, while you're here, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Today's guest is someone I originally met at Toastmasters, and then we would occasionally bump into each other at the gym, but he's going to be chatting about privilege. So welcoming himself onto the In My Twenties podcast and into the In My Twenties family, here he is. Hi, my name is Miguel Bacosta. I'm an aspiring entrepreneur. Um, my background's in psychology. Um, yeah, trying to just make a little bit of a dent in the universe. Now on every episode of the In My Twenties podcast, my guests always come through with these incredible mind moments or gem moments. And this is just one of them. What is the difference between white male privilege and white privilege? Uh, I think it's just like an extra layer of privilege. Mm. I'm a white male, I can walk on the streets and not be bothered. In a business setting, people might treat me differently. Yeah, and I see it happening. The In My Twenties podcast is split up into three sections. In the first section, we get to hear a little bit more about Miguel's career history. In the second section, we dive into today's topic, which is all about privilege. And finally, rounding up all three sections is a conversation on the all-consuming Twenties journey. So let's get straight into it. Miguel de yeah. Costa isn't a South African name. No. So I'm assuming you are not South African or don't have South African roots. Yeah. But what is your story? So I'm a Portuguese South African. Mm-hmm. Um, so my grandparents were Portuguese, mm-hmm. all four of them. Um, born in born in Madeira, which is a little island. Um, it's actually closer to Africa than Portugal. So mm-hmm. I'm going to claim Africa. So my grandparents, my parents were born here. So I'm, I'm effectively South African. Born in Boxburg. There was a guy called Vernon Kukumur that uh-huh. was like, he was on a few memes and Nando's ad. Yeah. Yeah, it's just okay. funny. Yeah, Boxburg, it's, it's not the best place. <laughs> I've, I've, I don't think I've actually been to Boxburg, to be honest. Yeah. I know Boxburg from Monopoly. Is it a Monopoly? Yes, or, it's on the Monopoly South African board. I think it's green on Monopoly. I don't think, or I don't it's think, brown. I don't think Boxburg gets on Monopoly. It is. It's on the South African board. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? I think it's on the... Anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so born in Boxburg. We moved to Cape Town in 2001. Mm. I was quite young. And then we... I went to, went to a really good school. Um, very privileged in that sense. What school did you go to? To Bishops. Okay. Yeah, didn't take full advantage of it. Actually, in retrospect, I probably should have done a bit more. Mm-hmm. Like there was the music and the arts and the culture and that kind of thing, which mm-hmm. didn't really get too much into. Okay. Um, yeah, but I mean, I guess it's just one of those things. Sometimes you don't take advantage of the opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then went to study at UCT. Rocky starts, I must admit. Mm-hmm. Like I did fairly well in high school. Yeah. Um, but then first year started and I was just like freedom. And I just like lost it. <laughs> um, yeah. So what did you What did you study at UCT? So I started with the BCom PPE, mm-hmm. Politics, Philosophy, and Economics. Failed too many courses, <laughs> but yeah, I managed to stay in UCT. Thank God. I don't don't even know how. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of started to get my stuff together. Less partying, more actual studying. Mm-hmm. Um, got into psychology, which I really loved. Mm-hmm. So moved over to sorry to psychology, and. Yeah, so that was good, but I didn't really want to be a psychologist. My dad's always been in business and, yeah, I come from a a generation or a family of entrepreneurs. So first generation Portuguese South Africans, they weren't that that educated. So they came there kind of, they needed to start from scratch, build up businesses, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've always really liked that, that, you know, kind of 
building businesses. Uh, yeah, so entrepreneurship allows you to do all kinds of little things, which which I love. Later, I also started to realize that it's also an area where you can have a lot of social impact mm-hmm. um, because you could kind of decide what did you want to have impact on and where mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of try and make that happen. Mm-hmm. And then so it went from just kind of I like this thing to realizing, you know, within the sovereign context, um, I have been very privileged. I have had a whole lot of advantages during my life because of my background, because of my schooling, because of my position. Um, So I kind of wanted to do do something that also gave back a little bit. I'm going to ask an yeah. interesting question on privilege. Yeah, yeah. Because in, again, coming to the South African context, it's one thing that white people seem to struggle with a lot to actually yeah. acknowledge that they are privileged in certain ways um, without becoming so defensive about it. What is your perception on privilege? I mean, in terms of my journey, I think like in high school, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't recognize privilege at all. I was just, I was completely blinded to it. You live in this little like bubble where it's just, it, it doesn't, you don't realize. Um, especially at the, the kind of like elitist school that I was at, you kind of, all the other boys, you have this reinforcing thing where you're like, you're above everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, in retrospect, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. So I never, I never really realized it. Um, and even coming into university, I didn't realize it either. And it was, it was almost quite a big shock because you're going from this I'm just going to be perfectly blunt, like very white, um, elitist school to suddenly like I'm actually with people who are a different color to me. And mm. it was it's weird, especially when you're in a country where that's that should be the norm. Yeah. Were you um, friends with people of color in high school and in varsity? Uh, not in high school, mm-hmm. but in varsity, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then coming back to the point around not knowing that... Not, not not knowing that you were privileged, but not needing to acknowledge it because it wasn't something in your psyche. What yeah. a lot of people might say is, I, I think the tricky thing is now being, and I know your journey's completely changed yeah. to where you are now, but even one being in their 20s, sometimes even in work environments now, you're sitting with people who are 20, who are 30, who still cannot acknowledge mm. that, or who are still like, everything is fine, the country's perfect. We're all equal. It's the rainbow nation. Yeah. But forgetting that there's been so much inequality. So when, so at what point did you realize that, oh my gosh, actually I am privileged and there is so much inequality in this country? I mean, I think you can have like a, a superficial understanding of the inequality and that kind of thing and kind of like realize it, but not really see your position in it in, in a sense. You have this weird perception where it's you're privileged because your parents worked hard and that kind of thing but I think it's just it came to it was a combination of of formal studies so in psychology and in our sort of politics we kind of started to grapple mm-hmm. around those issues um and then also around the time of fees must fall mm-hmm. so that was my final year of psychology was when that was all happening mm-hmm. um and then suddenly there was this discourse around that yeah. well, not suddenly but maybe suddenly for me mm-hmm. um at least and yeah, so started to kind of grapple with these topics, started to you know chat to people about it, um, started engaging my peers, both mm-hmm. like just immediate and just people I wouldn't usually chat to. Yeah, and then just I think I just started to kind of understand it a bit better. Mm-hmm. How would you define white privilege? I think just like an example. I think the, the best example is that I can walk into almost any space in South Africa. Um, when I walked in here today, 
uh, into your flat, you said, um, the security guards let me in, Yuji, it's only your sisters. Mm. Why? It was probably because I'm wise. Um, it's really sad and it, 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 it annoys me, um, but that, that probably is the case. Uh, and I think that's just like a, a prime example of it. It's like going around little spaces and just having this, um, people allow you to do more things, I suppose. Mm. Um, and I think that that's white privilege and not just white, it's also white male privilege. Hit me on that. That's interesting. <laughs> what is the difference between white male privilege and white privilege? Uh, I think it's just like an extra layer of privilege. Mm. Um, if you're a white, so if you're a white woman, you, it's definitely a lot of privilege. Um, but white male, you've got all kinds of others. Like, mm. um, if I'm a white male, I can walk on the streets and not be bothered, um, in a business setting people might treat me differently uh yeah and i see it happening um i see it happening not just with white people and white people but also with black people and white people mm. so i'll see um like a black person might treat me differently because i'm white um and a white male okay even to a white woman mm. um and i do notice these things i, I try to notice them more and more just mm. to kind of be aware of it have you ever spoken up against discrimination or unfair treatment or inequality? In certain circumstances, certain circumstances, yeah. Um, not as much as I'd like to. Yeah, like we've we've got a, a family group on WhatsApp, um, and then there was there was a family member that was basically a bit racist. And it's like I try to be as political as possible. I'm just like um, it's got absolutely nothing to do with their race. It's got to do with like. Um, socioeconomic background if you'd like to chat further about this please message me mm. um, so I think it's quite important especially like if you're engaging with another white person it's not kind of just be like that's completely wrong what mm. are you doing but actually to engage them mm. um, of course like say that is wrong but to kind of say like I'd like to chat about this further let's let's engage let's chat mm -hmm. yeah. and why do you feel I mean, I guess from, your, from in your opinion, why do you feel so many white people are so offended by the fact that there is something called white privilege? Or if someone does point out racial behavior, that they're so quick to go, oh my gosh, no, it could never yeah. be me. Rainbow Nation, 1994, Nelson Mandela. Um, instead of actually just saying, look, this is, this is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. This is an issue. Let's talk about it. Or rather, this is a tough pill to swallow. I am yeah. privileged. I mean, even even having this conversation with you, which was not even the discussion point of today's <laughs> discussion, it's just interesting that for me as well, yeah. I grew up in a very um, multiracial environment. It was the same thing. I didn't know about uh, inequality. I didn't know that I was a foreigner and that I was going to be called Amakwere Kwere until it was said to me and until it was pointed out. And that was as early as high school. So it's like these things as a child, you grow up and everything is sunshine and roses. Mm -hmm. And then adulthood hits or pre-adulthood hits and reality hits. You start learning things about inequality. You start learning things about history and whose perspective was history written on. Yeah. And on the one hand, you get so upset and so angry about it. On the other hand, it's just like, okay, what are we going to do about it? Um, but coming back to my question about why you feel white people get so offended. Yeah around hearing conversations around privilege yeah. and not acknowledging it? I think there are three parts. I think number one is not understanding it. So purely having not grappled with it. So you just, like, the concept seems completely foreign. 
Um, so that'll apply to my parents, strangely more my mom more than my dad. Um, but I just, I don't think she gets it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she thinks like, you know, you just, if you work hard, like everyone's equal and that obviously it's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, number two is probably getting it, but not wanting to grapple with it or, um, or acknowledge it. I suppose number three is it's a kind of, it feels like it's a personal attack against you mm-hmm. when it's actually not. It's just, it's a... A, it's a recognition mm-hmm. um, and people will go straight to like personal tech against them and they'll kind of they'll try to justify it so it'll mm-hmm. be oh no but I, I'm like I'm white but I come from a poor household blah 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 and just kind of almost putting down that person's past or suffering mm-hmm. based on your experience and suffering mm-hmm. um and how do you have those difficult conversations with family members? Yeah. Because they're your family at the end of the day. And like you're saying, it's like your mom or it could be an uncle. Yeah. Or it could be your grandparents. It's like, how do you even start to have those conversations? And do you feel like their mindsets can be changed or are they just kind of ingrained in their ways? I pick my battles wisely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think beyond a certain um, age or mindset it's a bit too late it's like my grandfather for example i just it's too late Mm. (laughs) he's just he's been indoctrinated for too many years he's not going to change his his mind um my parents i I do try to kind of um, engage them on that Mm. uh if it's somebody in my generation then like i definitely engage them um i don't accept any kind of like um racism or anything like that Mm. um yeah, so I just kind of like try to pick my battles because um, I think the older, older generation, they kind of, not really an excuse, but I can understand why because they, they have been indoctrinated. Yeah. Um, it's really sad. I don't think it's, it's, it is an excuse, but it's, it's kind of that thing. But anyone in my generation, I think it's inexcusable. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of, you have to grapple with these topics. There's so many layers to privilege. Mm. I know this one is specific on race because there's also class privilege. There's also just, you know, yeah. You spoke about like how white men are, you know, at the top of the eco chain yeah. food system and then white females. And then yeah. there's also, you know, we've got Asians and Indians. And to be very honest, right at the bottom are black females. Yeah. You know, and my sister always says it's interesting with black with black females because you're you're fighting two battles. You're fighting the race battle and you're fighting the, the, gender. the gender battle. Mm. I don't think it by any means it's the burden of the um the person who's the, the victim of racism or even just like if I were to ask you, okay, you're, you're a black female. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about privilege. It's, it's not, it's not your obligation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mine as a white male to kind of, to figure it out. Okay. So we've been talking about a lot about race, particularly in South Africa, but coming to culture and customs and language and immersing and immersing oneself into the language of, of a country yeah. you co-founded a company called utini correct uh so tell me a little bit about the company so quick elevator pitch on utini mm-hmm. um utini is a peer-to-peer language learning platform that connects people who want to speak um, a local south african language like koso zulu to koso zulu home language speaking tutors um it's all done online on a messaging platform it's very similar to whatsapp um, and lessons are short, 15-minute sessions every few days. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we wanted to make learning a language as easy and accessible as possible, while at the same time engaging um, 
people who spoke or speak Khoisan Zulu. Mm-hmm. So how is your Khoisan at the moment? Uh, it's improving. It's stalled, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we we added all my all of our lessons, mm-hmm. the content we had, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of like we didn't have enough content. I was like, ah, oh, damn. Mm-hmm. And then I did a medical Zulu, mm-hmm. which was really fun. Okay. Um, but yeah, I actually haven't done lessons in a few months. So I need to get back on it. Okay. Yeah. And like, do you have any favorite Kosa or Zuli phrases? I like the word. So um, one of the words for like business owner or entrepreneur is Mkhwebi. So Dingu Mkhwebi. I just like that. So I just think it sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's Zulut Okunankinga, Okunlaki in Kosa. Um, that's like no problem. I love using Akunlaki. I almost think it does make me cringe a little bit that I speak a little bit closer and now it's kind of like, Wah. it yeah. should be like, you should be doing that anyway. Something I've struggled while I've kind of been exploring is like, and it's around race and privilege and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think a lot of people have questioned why uh, the Euro- a European or Asian civilization um, did seem to advance so much, um, like on a purely like economic basis compared mm. to like African civilizations. Mm. Um, I think because of that, it is the root of some prejudice um, or a fair amount of it, because it's people say okay everyone's equal, but then in the back of their mind they're like okay well why why was there this big divide? Mm. Um, so going back to, I think, the question earlier when you asked, like, what can we do? I think it's to try and understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of research around why that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, Jared Diamond wrote a book, Guns, Germs, and Steel, um, where his thesis, and it's, it's very widely um, recognized, was that the reason Europe did so well was because um, it developed guns, it had all its gross germs, which then mm-hmm. spread around, um, and it had steel. So just just purely because of its where it was situated, mm. um, it was just lucky to develop these things. Mm. Um, and there are a few other theses around that, but it's I think that's that's quite important to mm. understand like why was Europe so um, successful and successful in the sense of like it built these civilizations, mm. um, and it doesn't have anything to do with it being because they were inherently white Europeans. Um, a lot to do of it is to do with just geography really Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah. but to to that point in terms of looking at civilizations and history and all of that it's like one of the massive things in south african and even african history is it's not told from the viewpoint uh from a black person's viewpoint Mm. it's always told by the colonizers viewpoint so it's like even i remember in primary school the first thing we were taught was that jan van riebeck founded (laughs) south africa that's the first thing you learned yeah it's like so in your mind, you're just like, okay, so was no one else before? You don't question yeah. these things as a young child. You don't. So you grow up with these beliefs that, oh, everything we're learning from history is correct. Even the way we were taught the apartheid, uh, about apartheid in high school. Apartheid in high school made it look like, oh, there was separation. Kumbaya, Nelson Mandela was freed. <laughs> we're all together. Yeah. They don't tell you about the atrocities. You have to go and do the research and look that up for yourself. You have yeah. to go and see how black people were really treated, how Indian people, Asian people, colored people were treated to actually know how bad it is. But that comes back to being the kind of person 
who's going to go and look that up? And then again, questioning our education system and going, yeah. but what are people really learning? Yeah, we. I think we do have to relook at that. And yeah, just kind of give, try give a, I mean, it's never really possible to give a completely balanced view, but to give a more balanced view mm. um, and a more Afrocentric view. How would you summarize your 20s? Started off like roaring mm-hmm. um, and then started to normal bits, mm-hmm. starting to have to pay bills and yeah. like work out how personal finance works. Mm-hmm. That that's, that's a crazy thing, personal mm-hmm. finance. Yeah. Do you know how to yeah. do your tax returns? I get like recently started learning. (laughs) (laughs) I hate it. I always like message my sister. I'm like, it's that time of the year again. What do I do? (laughs) That's crazy. She's like, CRC now, like you're almost 30 and you can't do your tax returns. (laughs) See, they don't teach us stuff in school. Like it doesn't make any sense. They don't teach us. They don't, they don't teach us how to change a car tire. They don't teach us how to do our tax returns. (laughs) They teach us how to budget. No, they don't. They just like go out of the world. Good luck. You're 27 at the moment. So you are like two years out of your quarter-life crisis age technically. (laughs) Have you experienced the quarter-life crisis? And if so, what was it? Yes and no. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you kind of, as humans, we're kind of always questioning ourselves. Um, And with with the rise of all the social media and that kind of thing, you're always like, how about that person's doing so well and that person's doing so well. But I think I've tried to take a step back and just being like, you know, focus on you. Mm -hmm. Things are going well your side. Don't try to focus too much on other people. Mm-hmm. I suppose where did it come a bit was around now when we're looking at um, about some potential bias for the business mm-hmm. and just kind of like realizing it's four years of my life that have gone into it. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, you pour, you pour a lot of dedication and passion and commitment into it. Mm-hmm. But, and everyone always says, you know, like you do, it's all about the learning and the journey and that yeah. kind of thing. But you still, yeah, those mm-hmm. kind of, um, come back to you a little bit, mm. but yeah, not 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 like a hectic call life crisis. Mm. I think again, it comes back to privilege. I've been I've been really lucky mm. um, to start a business really young. Yeah, um, to have all the cushioning I had to start yeah. that business. Yeah, uh, like people talk about encouraging entrepreneurs and that kind of thing. But when I look at like if I didn't have all the cushioning I had, I probably wouldn't have started a business. Mm. Um, so to kind of encourage an entrepreneurial culture, mm. it's really difficult because like, if you're a kid in a township who if he or she doesn't pay their bills or like they've got no nothing to fall back on. I've always had stuff to fall back on. Mm. So of course I can take risks. Mm. Um, but how do you expect somebody who doesn't have any anything to fall back on to take risks? Incredible conversation. Beautiful mind moments, beautiful gem <laughs> moments. But what piece of advice would you want to leave um, for people who are listening to this podcast? I've heard podcasts where there are similar things of um, successful people by however you measure their success. Mm-hmm. Um, and often they, they say, okay, um, I would recommend that just don't worry too much. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but kind of at 27, I'm in the worrying phase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's a whole dichotomy of, okay, don't worry too much. Everything's going to be okay. But was it because they worried that everything became okay? Mm-hmm. Or was it like, just shouldn't worry? Um, I think I stress a fair amount, but it, I think we all just stress so, so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of build up ways to de-stress. So whether that be exercise, meditation, um, I think we're really, really fortunate in that we're kind of the first generation that's realizing what stress does to us, does to our mind, does to our body. And we're kind of trying to 
um, overcome that. Mm. So yeah, just find ways to overcome stress and just, yeah, don't, <laughs> just chill out. Thank you so much, Miguel, for coming onto today's show and sharing your honest thoughts and opinions on privilege. It was truly, truly, truly refreshing for you to talk about privilege as a white male and not be on the defense about it. For you to say, yes, as a white male, I do have privileges that other races don't necessarily have. To acknowledge that is the way we can actually take these conscious steps forward to actually tackling some of the fundamental issues in general, in life, in work. Just start having these conversations. You'd be very surprised in what might come out. And in the wise words of Pharrell Williams, the truth will set you free, but first it might piss you off. So we will catch you same time, same place, right here on In My 20s. In my 20s, in my 20s. How old are you? That was higher than usual. How older, how older, how older, how older are you? I am in my 20s. Bye.